Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Afton of Linksfield Shoal. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you on today. And today, as if you've been hearing the music we were just playing and the rest of the music that we'll be playing throughout the show, we're dedicating it to Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day, and focusing on, on the Holocaust, obviously, no one show, no one statement can really do justice, but we have to honor it. And that's what we're going to try to do in the show. I believe as we speak, um, at West Park Cemetery, they're concluding or they're in the middle of the ceremony for Yom HaShoah there. And we're going to do our part to honor it here as well. I'm going to start by reading names and then I'll uh, explain. Mordechai. Golda Batya, Chaim Zechariah, Bluma, Moshe, Yisrael, Fega, Moshe, Tzvi. The names I just mentioned are my great-grandfather, my mother's father's father, my great-grandmother, my mother's father's mother, my great uncle, my mother's father's brother, and his wife Bluma, and their two sons, Moshe and Yisrael. My mother's father's sister, Fega, and her two sons. Her husband wasn't there at the time. He was killed later. Moshe, and so the two sons, Moshe and Svi, all shot and buried some of them alive. In August 1941, in the city of, outside the city of Krasnanistav, Ukraine. Ironically, Krasnanistav actually means Red Lake. According to legend, hundreds of years ago, many people were killed and the lake turned crimson. And in uh, the 6th of Elul, 1941, I believe it was August, maybe early September, the community was shot, 950, I believe, people of the small town. This was before the concentration camps were in full capacity, and this is called the Holocaust of Bullets. It was early um Earlier in the war, 1941, um, when the Nazis came into Ukraine and other Soviet territories, they would come in and literally just, uh, in Lithuania it happened a lot as well, etc. They would come in, take the people from the city, take them outside the city often, and uh, shoot, kill, and... Uh, often bury people alive, as they would say, they don't want to waste their bullets. And there's testimonies of people, two women survived that massacre, I believe they managed to escape, and they came back and told my grandfather, my mother's father, who was the only survivor of the whole family, he was, at that time he was being drafted into the Russian army, uh, 
eventually got out of the Russian army and managed to run away and escape to the Far East, to Uzbekistan, where he survived the war. I'll say another name, Mordechai. This little Mordechai was um, named, no, not Mordechai, sorry. His name was Zusha. His name was Zusha, and this is my mother's oldest brother. During the war, my grandmother, who was separated from my grandfather because he was drafted to the army, as I just mentioned, my grandmother um, ran to the east before my grandfather got there. And due to the travels of war and typhus and other sicknesses that were going around and lack of medical care, uh, my mother's oldest brother, Zosha, passed away and is buried uh, somewhere, nobody knows where, somewhere in Uzbekistan. And that's just one side of the family. That's my mother's father's family. My mother's mother's family... She lost aunts, she lost many cousins, dozens. On my father's side, if you uh, go to the Yad Vashem website, you could search in Gershon or Gregory Aftson. That's my father's father's father. My great-grandfather, was, uh, he died in the war, he was running, running away, I think he died on the road. And in my father's mother's family, both her parents died during and during the escape of the siege of Leningrad. That's when the Nazis uh, put a siege on the city of Leningrad, which only had one bridge to get out. And uh, her mother died from starvation and her father died as they were going out of Leningrad. They They were escaping an ice lake and I think just after they got over the lake. Um... Her father died on the side of the road, and she buried him there. And she also lost her two, her twins, a brother and a sister, from that starvation in World War Two. And uh, she managed to survive with her two sisters, etc. So that's just part of my family story when it comes to the Holocaust. The reason I share it is obviously, you know, personalizing it makes it much more real. Um, an uncle, many great uncles, many cousins of my parents, who many of them would have been still alive today, right? My mother's cousins who were shot in that pit in Krasnostav. They were young kids, two years old, four years old, who were shot in 1941. They would have been today in their mid to late 80s. And um, it, it's important to make it tangible. It's not just like a, a story of seven, eight decades ago in black and white. It's a story of people who till today would still be alive, many of these young kids. And today we honor. We honor their... We pay tribute and we... Fulfill the mitzvah of Lotishkach, don't forget. Never forget what the, the haters did, what the murderers did, and to learn lessons um, from the strength and the courage and the power of 
those people who definitely would not call themselves victims, but people who died honoring God and who through their the, the way they lived and the way they died give us lessons and give us strength forever. So that's who we're honoring today. And I just thought that the music would be appropriate for the song, for this. I chose four different songs throughout the show, all in English. Um, many of them composed by this, by uh, A.B. Rottenberg, but sung by various different people. And the next song that I want to play is called My Little Town. And it's a magnificent uh, song, heartbreaking song that really describes in a small, tangible way. A more relatable way, a small little story of World War II. This is my little town on 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. You were just listening to um, Shulam Lemmer singing from the ashes, uh, sorry, singing My Little Town, a magnificent little song. Um, and as mentioned in the first segment, we are dedicating today's show, today's show to Yom HaShoah, the Holocaust Memorial Day. And it almost seems surreal to dedicate even, like to dedicate a show to something like, how do you even honor, honor and pay tribute to something so beyond Imagination, and yet we have an obligation to to remember and to do our small part in making sure that the people, but more importantly, the way they lived and died, is not forgotten. They died simply because they were Jews, and they died simply because of hate. And I remember hearing, you know, one time somebody asked, I, I'm not sure who it was, but he asked a certain fellow, he said, where was God during the Holocaust? And believe me, I'm not going on that topic. And the, the response was, where was humanity during the Holocaust? You know, it's a philosophical conversation about where was God during the Holocaust. Personally, it's not a conversation I like going into because even if there are some form of philosophical answers, um, it's, it runs a very easy risk of coming across as tone deaf or heartless by having that conversation, especially if uh, you're talking to somebody who lost family or a victim of the Holocaust himself. I, I don't like the word victim, but somebody who was affected by the Holocaust. Um, but where was humanity? That's that's the the much more important question. How could humanity turn a blind eye? And how many times have we heard the word never again? Never again. Turn, like, well, ne never what again? What's never going to happen again? Are we never going to turn a blind eye? Are we going to stand up and fight when murder happens on a mass scale? When murder happens small scale? 19 Jews were killed just in the last two months in uh, Israel simply because they're Jewish. 
What does never again even mean? Something that makes us feel good when we say it? Is it a commitment that we will assure? Is it a hope for God to never allow never again? Is it wishful thinking? What is it? What it ought to be is a deep commitment to make sure that as a society we never come to that place again. But my simple question is, what are we doing about that? In other words, I remember reading a story that someone one time asked Lubavitcher Rebbe, who in general was a huge optimist. Um, and he asked him, can the Holocaust happen again? And the point wasn't like, will it happen again? He, the Rebbe believed strongly it wouldn't happen again. But simply based on the politics of the time, I believe this was in the 70s, can it happen again? And the Rebbe said it can happen tomorrow. In other words, humanity hasn't evolved so much for the better in the last 80 years that we can say it can't happen. No, though no evil has happened, that's like the Holocaust, which stands on a category of its own. Lots of evil has happened in the last 80 years. And um, it's starting to sound way too cliche, never again. And um, Holocaust Memorial Day obviously ought to evoke a lot. But I think one of the things that has to evoke is and say, like, how does a society get to that level of darkness? And what are we doing to make sure that society isn't getting there? Obviously, nobody I know, and hopefully nobody you know, is can ever match the evil of uh, what the Nazis did during World War II. Again, it stands in a category of its own. But we still have to ask ourselves, What's, you know, how did a nation, the German nation, it's much easier to, you know, define them as monsters. First of all, it wasn't only the Germans, the Germans ran it, but the Ukrainians, the Lithuanians, the Polish, um, some of them, obviously. Um, how does, how do people, you know, raised by two parents, loving parents usually, turn into such monsters. You know, it's easy to say, okay, this person had this issue and that person had that issue, but when you see societies, millions of people, I remember watching a video, it was of a, a former guard, I don't, he wasn't a Nazi himself, I'm not sure if he was Romanian, or one, one I believe one of those uh, countries, and uh, he's being interviewed about what he did during World War II, and he's laughing in glee 50 years after the World War II, watching the Jews, you know, being shot and jumping and screaming. Like, how does a person turn into, like, the, the, what, did the whole, that millions of people become psychopaths? The truth is, if you say they became psychopaths, then you're almost giving them a free lunch because, you know, okay, they were just, they were crazy. Psychopaths. No, these were normal people. Many of them dotting parents. Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. Friends. Maybe even courteous to strangers. And yet, they turned into the, the epitome of evil. How does that happen? And uh, I spoke about it in the show. On Friday night, I remember 
watching a documentary of uh, Nuremberg trial. And um, it was a redone, I think it was a, a film that was done in 2000. And um, in the film, I'm not sure if it took place in real life, I believe it did. One of the witnesses, I don't think he was in the trial, I think he was trialed separately, was Rudolf Hess, the commandant of Auschwitz. And um, after his testimony, his testimony is actually on YouTube, it's in German, I'm not sure if it's translated, but it's like a two-hour testimony, I think. Um, he's asked by somebody, he says, like, you know, you supervise the biggest m mass murder. I mean, in all of history, I mean, no place has ever been anything like Auschwitz. Said, how did you, how did you live, how do you live with yourself? How did you sleep at night? And Rudolf has says, does a mouse trapper not sleep well because he killed mice or a rat trapper? We were told that Jews are rats. And I remember hearing that, uh, it haunts me till today. Because, yeah, how do you get millions of people to be, do absolute evil? By um, dehumanizing the victim, dehumanizing the person that they're going to hurt. Whether it was what the Nazis did to Jews, whether it was what the Japanese in World War II did to the Chinese, to the Koreans. Whether it's civil wars till today. Whether it's how the anti-Semites describe Jews till today. You dehumanize them. You make them less than. And when you convince someone that the human being is just a rat and just a menace, and you brainwash them, you could get them to do anything. So I believe one of the great messages of the lessons of the Holocaust is to be, to, I'm not even sure how to say this, but to be so careful about speech. Before the gas chambers, Hitler was screaming and shouting his nonsense for 15 years. Right? Maybe even longer from the early 20s. And the massive murder of Jews started in the early 40s. 20 years of screaming. And 6 million Jews and many others were killed. It starts with words. It starts with brainwashing. It's a conversation about, you know, what we allow the conversation, the political discourse. It's also a conversation of, for each and every one of us, how we think of other people, how we describe others. Obviously, as I said, none of us will ever reach that level of evil. But still to take to heart the idea of how terrible it is when we dehumanize and we see other people less than. Because to quote that monster, Rudolf Hess, once you start seeing people as rats, you can kill one and a half million, two million people in Auschwitz and still sleep at night. So one of the great lessons is how we see each other as human beings. 
to see every human being is created in the image of God. And as Chief Rabbi Sachs put it, if the Nazis chase down every Jew in hate, it's our job to chase down every Jew in love. Next song I want to play for you is The Man from Vilna, a magnificent song that describes a small event that took place um, just after World War II. This is by Shalom and Yankee Lemmer, 101.9, Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtson, and today we're dedicating our show to Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day. And one of the things that Lubavitch Rebbe would often talk when he referred to the Holocaust is that here you have a society that was one of the most educated sophisticated Western first world societies that turned into the greatest barbaric, the you know, the most barbaric people in history. And that's what happens when, uh, when you, you worship knowledge, but you don't worship, when you don't worship uh, values and morality and God. In other words, when when logic is the ultimate barometer of what's right, what's wrong, then you could convince somebody that someone else is a rat, and then they could kill them. Right? Logic can co- convince somebody anything. Obviously, a person needs to use their logic, but it has to be with a, together, partnered with a strong moral code that things are not just logical. So, for example, the Ten Commandments, God says, "Thou shall not murder." Now, logic could come and say, yeah, but that person is subhuman. But the, back to the Torah, it says, don't murder. You can't logic, you can't create a logic against that. In other words, no matter what a person comes up with, it won't change. And remember, the, the, the Nazis based everything of theirs on logic. Today's logic, it doesn't make any sense. But for example, the way they killed um, the infirm and, you know, the people who were disabled physically and mentally in their own. And then they killed gays, and then they killed uh, the Roma, and then they killed, obviously, the Jews. Um, everything was logical. Everything was logical. And so much so that in not only in the Nazis, but in place in the United States, etc., ideas of race and how selective breeding, you know, and taking out uh, the, the, the bad breeds, so that uh, the humanity can evolve to be its ultimate was was standard medical knowledge in I believe even in, in the American Medical Association at the time and others. In other words, when somebody just worships logic, if now there's a big chance that they'll end up doing good. I'm not saying every person that only worships logic becomes a monster. Heaven forbid. There's a lot of people who who are logical and they still have. They're good people and they have good moral codes. But the problem is what happens as a society when the logic gets skewed and suddenly you have people using that very same logic and turning the values upside down. Suddenly murder is not bad. Suddenly stealing all the property of the victims is not bad. Suddenly rape is, is not bad. Suddenly, what happens then? What happens then? You get the Holocaust where you have smart people, very smart people, doing a 
acts of barbarism. You know, often people will sit there saying, oh, you know, the Western society, um, you know, educated societies, um, that's where we have to go to. And I always remind people, I say, like, as a Jewish people in Europe, what we've been through throughout history, I think we have to think twice before we sit there thinking that sophistication in any way means morality. The, the, the first country to expel Jews as a mass policy was England. And uh, Jews have suffered in Western Europe for hundreds of years. The only reason we moved to Eastern Europe eventually was because we were chased out of every country in Western Europe pretty much. And um, we have to remember that being sophisticated and educated and modern and first world says nothing about a society's morality. What does say about morality? Well, they're moral. Are they moral people? Are they good people? Are they kind people? Are they people that, that will never let logic take them down the road that says that another human being is a rat? If you find a society in which there's a value for human life and there's, a, there's this deep knowledge that we're all created in God's image, you're doing well. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avton. And wrapping up the show, I actually want to finish the show with it's probably the most powerful song that we're going to play in today's show. It's called Memories. Um, sung by Avram Frieda Mordechai Ben David, originally composed by A.B. Rottenberg, an absolutely powerful, haunting song that really um, kind of helps us walk out with a bit of a carry-home message. This is 101.9 Chai FM, wishing everybody that uh, we should please God, celebrate good things, and move on to not just memory, but revenge, and the greatest revenge is to build beautiful lives and to build the Jewish people for many generations to come. Amen. Have a great day.